Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you go give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And if you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from people all around the town or all around the country. or Even all around the world. Hey, all around wherever you might be. <laughs> <laughs> we just love talking to people. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, that's always a whole lot more interesting than hearing you and I just sit here and jack our jaw. Exactly. <laughs> of course, last week we got preempted by the basketball sure. finals and all that, so we didn't have a show. But I, I got an email, kind of an interesting email. I remember, I guess it was about two or three weeks ago, we had a caller who had called in who had a red brake light on. I think it was on a Ford truck, if I'm not mistaken. Right, and we were talking about all the different causes. Some of the things that could cause that. And, of course, we mentioned the low brake fluid or the switch thinking it's low brake fluid. Right, the parking parking brake switch. Parking brake switch. Right. Brake lights. And this gentleman brought up a point that had skipped my mind. I have run across this before, but he brought it up, and that is the instrument cluster can also go bad right when it fails it has a tendency to turn several lights on or the brake light or Mm -hmm. you know whatever's in the cluster that you can see right when it fails there's no telling what all may happen well instrument cluster is it's basically basically a computer computer if it's if it's on yeah and and it's a server on the system of a lot of uh, vehicles so it can do some real weird stuff but mr edward tabor t-a-b-o-r had written that to uh, bring that to my attention and i'm glad he did because it's just one of those things that i've just one, kinda, one more thing to overlook <laughs> well you know you work on so many cars for so many years right. and it's very hard to try to remember every single thing but that was more or less one of those pattern kind of failures i don't know if i run across that on other vehicles but i have seen it on ford trucks where yep. the instrument cluster will fail and turn that light on yep uh, and on some of the later model trucks the ford trucks especially they have what they call a intelligent fuse panel it's basically a glorified fuse box but it has a little computer built into it and that can do a lot of stuff like that. It can because it controls all the fuses and everything. Right. And when it fails, it can send power or ground and turn lights on and mm-hmm. do all kind of odd things. Yeah, Ford's had some trouble with that, and Dodge has had a lot right. of trouble with that. I forget what they call it on the Dodge, a tip them or something like that. I... To- totally integrated power control module. There T- you go. Tip them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I know like on the Dodges, you'll see one headlight will go out right maybe the left headlight doesn't work the right one does you check the bulb it's good you own the socket out it's good you check the wires it's good you just can't figure it out and what it is this tip them has failed internally and it's not sending a signal out and those things are at godly expense yeah ungodly expense. i want to say nine hundred thousand dollars for the right. part and it's a pretty common failure i know chrysler came out with some patches they have like a, a software patch well no it's got like a relay package you can go in because it's a bunch of uh, scr silicon control rectifiers inside uh-huh. this thing and a few of them that burn out a lot they've come out with a auxiliary relay i think you can go in take terminals out sort it in and connect a mechanical relay into the box gotcha i'm, I'm kind of stretching my memory banks a little bit but I, they, they have patches for some of them i know ford has something like that we ran across it the other day i don't remember what circuit it was but the fuse Instead of blowing, it actually burnt the fuse mm-hmm. out. Ford has a repair for it. It's another wire, an auxiliary fuse, right. and you move it to another location in the box. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what circuit it was. I'm- yeah, there's lots of little things like that that you'll run across. I know 
Ford also had a problem with what they call a gym module. Yeah, they had GM problem with the gym module yeah, back in the day. General Electronics module, and like you crown Vicks and all, you get weird little things like maybe the headlights wouldn't come on, the wipers wouldn't come right. on because they all run through this General Electronics module. And it was it was command for for all the accessories on the vehicle. Right, kind of like a body module on a lot uh-huh. of vehicles, and it controlled lighting, it controlled the wipers, like you were saying, the windows. I mean, it, it controlled just about everything on the vehicle. Almost all the non-specific. Things that like running things that have their own module like ABS or airbags and all that, but it controlled just about all the non-specific type things. Correct. And it went obsolete, like Ford Ford is famous for after about six, seven years, they don't want to make parts anymore. And we were able to go in, break it open, figure out what circuit it was that was burning out, and get a relay and a socket and all that and solder it in in place of the SCR. Right. And get a lot of these to work. I know we used to do that in-house at one time. We don't see as many of them anymore because... Of, well, those cars are mostly gone by now. Yeah, they, I mean, they're starting to go away now. Yeah, just most of the... A lot... Well, I say most. A lot of the older cars like that, when they get past a certain age, you can't get parts anymore, and they usually got a lot of miles, and they're pretty old, so a major repair kind of takes them out. Sure. It's not that they couldn't be repaired necessarily, but it's just not economically feasible to keep them going. So people make the decision just to... Just go ahead and get another get one. Get something else. A different and, car. A lot of times, I guess that's the right decision. Sometimes, maybe not. But it's like everything else, like people, you know, they get to a point where it's just not feasible to keep them going anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, that's that's even changing with people now. Right, with, it with is. some of the new technologies, the and they, they can give you pretty good quality of life right on up to the... To the last day. Yeah, to a, to a pretty long time, you know, yeah. by comparison. I mean, you figure when I was a kid, a guy 70 years old was pretty darn old. Sure. And now, I mean, it's very rare. Absolutely nothing to see people 80 and 90 years old. Oh, yeah. Still having very good quality of life and, and really all the way up to 100 years old. Sure. Still having decent quality of life. So, who knows? Probably not so with cars. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the problem with cars is not a problem of technology that it can't be done. It's more a problem where the people who stand to make money by selling new cars don't want it done exactly and you know we were chatting just a little bit about how things used to all be repairable and now not so much so many things nowadays are just made to be non-repairable sure sure i mean look at all your electronic stuff now Mm -hmm. when it breaks you just you go to buy another one you put it in you program it and off you go well and if it's available for the most part a lot of it's built that way like for instance they got like say a little jack where you plug your headphones in on a motherboard of a computer well that little jack is constantly having something plugged in and out so it's going to fail at some point so it's a very inexpensive part probably easy to change except that when you make it into the motherboard and make it part of the motherboard put some chips in it well now you can't just go in and start and put a new jack in no no now you've got to buy the whole motherboard yeah and so the cost went from a dollar and a half to a thousand and a half well yeah or whatever the, the board cost. well and you can buy a new computer for 400 bucks so it's just not economically feasible even though it's kind of a shame Right, it used to be one time every almost everything was considered repairable, and you would. I mean, if you look around, even your shoes and stuff, there used to be little cobbler shops in right. every town, right? Because it was not at all unusual to put a sole on a pair of shoes or a heel on a pair of shoes or whatever. And nowadays, unless you have a very expensive pair of shoes or a pair that you just really really like, pretty well, I much mean, you can just throw them away and go get another pair of shoes. Yeah, you can go to the store and buy a decent pair of shoes that last six eight months for. Yep less than 50 bucks yeah it's just just not the same but anyway just one of those deals <laughs> <laughs> and kind of where you see cars going although they don't cost 50 bucks they cost no. fifty thousand yeah, bucks. But <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah they are working real real hard i think to make them less repairable sure 
And one of the big problems, I was talking to a gentleman in the shop the other day, and I said, you know, the old cars like the 67 Camaros and the 55 Chevrolets that people restore and they enjoy and they mm-hmm. keep them going and all. In fact, I was talking to a gentleman in New Orleans this weekend. He had a 70-model Charger that he had totally restored. Right. And great deal of money he had put into it, but it was something he liked and he was so able to do. But on the newer cars, when you start talking 2014, 15, 16, 18, up in there, you've got computers that once they go obsolete, you're not going to be able to get another one. And even if you can get another one, you're not going to be able to get the calibrations for them. Right, the programs. Because once that automobile company decides to no longer make that calibration available to you, well, now you have no way to program this computer so that it can talk to the other computers. Right. And since this is all proprietary machine language, it's just not likely that anybody could hack in and get it to work because the cost would be astronomical to do it for one car or just a limited number of cars. Well, and even that, not every car is the same. Every single model. Every one is different. Well, you may have two 2016 Chevy Silverados that are identical with two different calibrations completely. Sure. sure. For whatever reasons. And so you would have to reverse engineer all this stuff, program it all, and the cost would just be it'd probably be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to recreate this calibration. And unless you can sell hundreds of thousands of copies of it, it's, it's not just not going to be feasible. To yeah. So to a small market where maybe there's a thousand, fifteen hundred of these cars, somebody's trying to restore, there's just no economic way to go in and get these calibrations. And stuff. So once they say, Hey, this is no longer available. Yeah. Those cars are pretty much going, going by the wayside back, but compared back to when you could change points, you right, could, you could rebuild a carburetor. You know, all that stuff was mechanical. Well, absolutely. Worst case scenario, let's say you had a a Packard and you couldn't get a set of points for it anymore. You could drill, drill. the break break plate out and put a set of Chevrolet points in, sure, it. sure, <laughs> and probably get it to work or, or something. You know, go right. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a shame the way that because it's all software now, software and computers and chips and all that. So it's more or less like your say your Windows XP system. Well, when Windows decide, okay, we don't want XP anymore, they just they drop quit, it yeah. and quit supporting it. So then the programmers start moving away from it. And if you've got a Windows XP machine, it works perfectly. It's just not a whole lot you can do with it because it can't talk to a lot of other stuff. So you start going to websites on it, can't load these new right. features, and you can't get that for these features. So and, you end up throwing it away and going and getting the latest and greatest. Yeah, and, that's right. You know, you're talking computers, you know, home computer, thousand thousand dollars or at most yeah but you start talking about a vehicle you're upwards fifty sixty thousand dollars yeah for the vehicle and there's maybe 70 computers on there sure. and all of the newer ones are all programmed with different calibrations they have to have programs to tell them to talk to each other right whereas when you go buy if you could even find a computer a new computer that someone had sitting on the shelf and install it unless you can program it and tell it how to talk to these other modules it's just a paperweight yeah it's it's, it's absolutely useless car is not going to run right so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I see them disposables. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of going to that pretty fast. Yeah. I hate to say 50 grand is, is disposable, but. Well, uh, they, they call that disposable income. <laughs> that, that may give it a whole new meaning, you know. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And hopefully it won't be any time in the immediate yeah, future. But I know, right? It, it's something that's kind of coming down the pipe. Hey, we're going to take our first quick little break and be right back with a whole lot more. Ever plan to motor west? I'm off to AGCO for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at AGCO can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. 
Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I, I mean vehicle. Uh, improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Aldazan. We've got a co-pilot over here, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Let's give us a call. We sure appreciate it. Our number is 291-6901. Be glad to chat you up and give you advice on any topic you may have. That's it. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Click the button. A little form is going to pop up. Just fill out the form with the vehicle that has the the problem That's right. and uh, kind of a brief description of the the problem you're having and send it on in there you go and get you an answer back within 24 hours normally a lot faster just depending on where i happen to be in proximity I, to a computer there you go <laughs> <laughs> but i generally check those emails at least once a day i always try twice a day once in the morning once in the evening so you get answer back pretty darn quick no right matter where i happen to be and, and you know should you happen not to get an answer back recheck the address because right. One character off, and it just it pops right back. Right. If I got a wrong email address, or you happen to put something improper in there, then mm-hmm. I, it just bounces back. Another thing is you can't reply to a previous answer because being a server, I just can't allow people to be sending little stuff. I, I have ended up with two thousand email every mm-hmm. day. I couldn't go through it all. So our server is designed in such a way that when it sends an email to you, it comes from a no reply, correct address. And if you send something back, it's, it's not going to get bounced back to you, and it goes to a trash bin, and I don't ever see it. So You've got to go in and fill out a new form. A new form for a each and every time, and that way it keeps a lot of spam bots and all that from sending stuff in and sure. lowers the amount of junk mail that I would be getting. So just a matter of practicality. It's kind of difficult to sit there and ask 20 emails every day anyway. Oh, sure. You know, 20, 30 average a day that but i get you get 200 a day well yeah it's, it's hard to go through that more than you could physically sit there and well you'd be on the computer all day long that's right and just trying to fill with email <laughs> and i don't mind doing it but that's just a bit much <laughs> so that's the way we do it that way but you were talking just a little bit about some of the new uh-huh. things and and stuff coming down the road and you mentioned that i think honda is coming out with a new motor oil that's the reputedly. story yeah that's the story we're getting right now instead of a zero twenty weight mm-hmm. it's going to be a zero seventeen weight mm-hmm. which i mean it's what their engineers have designed for the engine they're building yeah and i don't really see a great difference between zero seventeen and zero twenty to warrant I, i'm making not a whole new all i don't know what their technology their new engine technology is going to be who knows i guess zero w zero will be the <laughs> eventually yeah <laughs> will be the new water they, they run right, water gonna, or something who knows pour but, out like water yeah they keep coming up with new things and that's why a lot of the stuff that you used to know is not only useless well, to you nowadays now but so much of it is damaging and, and harmful to you right i remember i had a friend of mine that he and i had worked together in a ford dealership about oh, oh lord 45 50 <laughs> yeah. years ago when i worked in a ford dealership and he calls me one day and he says man my car won't start so right. what, what did you do to it <laughs> 
He said, well, I was just trying to check the alternator, so I disconnected the battery with the alternator run. you with the engine running. running to like see we the always, alternator was and we always used to do, do that. that. Yeah, right. And if it kept running, well, you knew the alternator was good. I said, oh, man, you didn't do that. And I said, well, look, tow it over here. Let me see if I can. You probably cleared the PCM sure. memory because the voltage went sky high, but it could have maybe damaged me. Well, so he tows it in. We end up, we luckily, we were able to go back and reflash the computer memory and get it to run again, but just something as simple as that, just disconnecting the battery terminal with the car running, you can end right. up wiping out a lot of electronics now because the voltage, the battery is kind of a buffer to the system, and the PCM is controlling the voltage, and when you disconnect that, it just throws everything into a haywire, and so it may shoot that voltage up too high and end up frying a whole bunch of stuff. Yep. It's not like the old days we had a mechanical relay controlling voltage, you know, a separate voltage regulator. You know, it's all controlled by the PCM or the BCM now. And just some little simple procedure like that can end up just causing inordinate amount of trouble. Well, that was a common way to check an well, alternator yeah. back in the day. Well, sure. And things like using the big water pump pliers to squeeze the tie rods to check. Oh, yeah, you, you ruin them. If yeah, you now that. you'll smash a little spring inside the tie rod. Now it is bad. Yeah. It wasn't bad before, <laughs> but it is now. So a lot of the service procedures that we used to use back in the day that you may still have in your memory mm-hmm. banks just do not apply to well, newer cars. Even using the old analog voltage meter, yeah, that's right, can damage the new systems now, right? Because they're all digital and they can't take any kind of amp draw. Yep. And so yeah, just using an analog, just using the wrong meter, meter could, could cause a could a burn issue. burn some kind of a digital circuit out. And on and on and on and on it goes. We see that a lot where people will put the wrong oil sure. in an engine because they say, well, you know, I've always used 10W40 or 15W40 mm-hmm. in every car I've ever had, and I've never had problem. Well, that's not the same car. Exactly. You know, this is not your granddaddy's car. And when they talk about things like a timing chain, well, yeah, but you know, a 90-model Chevrolet pickup or a car with a 5.7-liter engine had a timing chain about a foot long. Sure. The cars sure. nowadays may have three or four timing chains. They may be six feet long right. or longer, you know, just with, with hydraulic tensors and variable cam timing and you name it. Well, you've gone from a overhead valve to an overhead cam. Yeah. So now you have Mul- to have a longer. Multiple overhead multiple. cams with variable cam timing. Sure. And, and so, the wrong oil can mess that cam timing up, mess those solenoids and sprockets and things up. And not only that, but, I mean, it can end up damaging the catalytic converters sure. and all because we have two- and three-stage catalytic converters now. They can't take a lot of extra oil getting into them. And when you put the thicker oil in there, it starts throwing – because it's thicker, the crankshaft beats through it. It creates more what they call windage, mm-hmm. throws more oil on the cylinder walls. Well, now the rings can't control it because they're minimal anyway to cut friction to give you better fuel mileage. So now it gets out the into the exhaust. gets into the exhaust, and wham, on and on and on you go. But there's just so, so many things like that. I know one of the big, big things that we run across and something we kind of want to talk a little bit about today, and that's like drive shafts and stuff. Right. Back in the day, it was nothing to take a drive shaft out, take a hammer and a socket, knock the U-joint out, knock another one back in there, put it back in the car and go on down the road. Sure. Well, if you do that nowadays, you may end up irreparably damaging the drive shaft. Well, you know, when you were talking about, mm-hmm. you had a steel drive shaft. Right. Pretty heavy uh, steel drive shaft. And, a, and most of them were just one piece. Yep. But you didn't have the two-piece shafts that you have today. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the aluminum shafts that you have today. Those things, the two pieces are balanced as an assembly. Right. So if you take it apart, you got to make sure that you get it back together in right. the right phase because one tooth off or 180 out, 
the shaft is not balanced and you get a vibration you'll never get out well that's right and you, you had a steel shaft made out of probably 16 14 gauge steel about two inches three inches in diameter well now you've got aluminum shaft about five to six inches in diameter and it's made out of very thin very very soft aluminum right and if you start pounding on that and distort it just put a little dent in it i mean thousandth of an inch run out in that dry shaft is going to cause a heck of a vibration you put a little dent in it and that flange moves very slightly well now it's not running true right a shaft that diameter spinning three times faster than the wheels or three and a half times on your rear end ratio yeah so i mean you got to figure at 60 miles an hour that shaft spinning about 200 miles an hour in a car and it may be six feet long on some of these big extended cab trucks and stuff you will get a vibration that just cannot be cured and there's no going in cutting a tube out putting a new tube in no at least not not that i'm aware yeah you may find somebody who could do it but it's very very difficult to repair any of this stuff so generally you're gonna be into a new drive shaft which can be eleven twelve hundred dollars in some cases fifteen hundred or more in, in in other cases some of these u-joints also are not really u-joints they're constant velocity joints that's where you have the two little joints together right together and those are generally not replaceable right they're put in and they're bratted over because they're non-replaceable so when they fail then it's a matter of replacing the shaft you can't get or sending it out to a dry shaft specialist who Someone may who, be able to yeah. have the tooling and stuff and to do it from what i gather those are few and far in between they really really are we had a gentleman here in baton rouge that was doing a lot of dry shaft work and he finally ended up closing his place down just because right. he got into a different field it, it was less aggravating <laughs> <laughs> and i hope a whole lot more money for him sure but yeah so now in most other than just very largest metropolitan areas you may be able to find some dry shaft repair mm-hmm. shops still and there probably are some good ones out there. But the tooling and the precision with which all this stuff is done is so high right. that it's very difficult. The thing is, you have to be so, so careful when you replace all this stuff. There are a number of special jigs and gadgets and all to support this shaft to take the load off the improper areas. And a press has to be used very judiciously, pressing these things in and out. To get them right. Another thing, too, we see a lot is people will go to a parts store and buy a U-joint mm-hmm. rather than going back to the original equipment joint. And, and one of the things that I've noticed is U-joints that have a grease fitting in them. Right. Look out. Right. Because you're generally going to be getting into trouble when you find a greasable U-joint. Then There's a reason why they use the non-greasable ones, and it's a big, big reason. We're going to talk about that right after this break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, AGCO suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. AGCO gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Craig Fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quickie lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We were talking a little bit about drive shafts and just service procedures that have changed over the years. Of course, we'll take a call on any topic you might have. Anything that might will. be on your mind. That we will. Never limited to what we happen to be talking about today. But the greasable U-joint starts with the premise that someone's going to get under this vehicle and grease that U-joint. Correct. And the way it's made, when you put a grease fit, and it's not just a matter of putting a grease fit and squirting some grease in, because to put grease in, the old grease has to come out, right. else you would have a hydraulic lock. So they have to make the seals where they can leak. They have to be able to allow the old grease out for new grease to go in. Correct. Which is sort of a flaw right from the get-go. When you have a non-sealed joint, now it's much more susceptible to water intrusion and these things when you drive through high water but it's also another maintenance issue you have to deal with maintenance issue because as that shaft spins at a rapid speed it's going to tend to sling the grease in the joint out correct that's not so bad if you're willing to crawl under this truck every three to five thousand miles and regrease the shaft well and the thing about it most of the greasable components of the front end have gone away now right they're not greasable anymore that's right so this turns into a problem of we've never had to get under here and grease it before right now we have to grease the drive shaft, which in tendency doesn't get done. Well, and because 99.9% of all drive shafts are non-greasable, the average service shop is not going to even check for that. No, nope. Because you've modified to something that's different unless you bring it to their attention. Even if you're having your all changed, unless you say, hey, would you grease these U-joints? Correct. It's probably not ever going to get done. And it's not this guy's fault because 99.9% of them that come in do not have grease fit. He's not going to go looking for everywhere you might have modified your vehicle and exactly. added a new maintenance item. So you, at very least, you're going to have to tell them about it, or you have to crawl in there with a grease gun. And it, some of these are very, very difficult to get to. Well, they are, because the way the grease fitting is in the joint, it's in the cross. Right. In the edge of the cross. Very tight area. So unless the drive shaft is at a certain point, you might might have access to it, you might not. Some of them, you actually have to dis, take them loose from the rear end, mm-hmm. turn the, the shaft over, you yeah, know, the, the joint swing it to one side swing, of the other. It, swing the joint more than it's normally run to access the grease fittings mm-hmm. and a lot of people aren't going to do that no well most people are not ever going to do that and so you end up with a potential problem which leads to failure a whole lot better just to go ahead and spend a couple of extra bucks get the non-greasable original joint people well, i want one i can grease why the non-greasable <laughs> ones last two hundred thousand they miles do. they do and the greasable ones last about average about 20,000 miles until they burn up from not being lubricated or from dirt getting into them. And the installation process is exactly the same. That's right. Costs you just as much. Costs just as much. The big thing, each time in and out, even with proper service procedures, the higher the risk of damaging that Exactly. Exactly. And generally, like I said, when a dry shaft is damaged, it's non-repairable. Right. I know you were mentioning we got one in the shop right now, and someone had pounded some U-joints into it. Oh, yeah, they, they destroyed it. They basically destroyed the drive shaft, and we're going to end up having to replace the whole shaft. In fact, they already, I think, replaced half of it trying right. to get it to work. They collapsed the area where the joint sits, so now the clips that hold the caps in no longer fit into the drive shaft anymore. Right. So it's been spinning with no clips in it with the chance that the caps could walk back out, come apart, and then you got a catastrophic failure. Well, which is extremely damn you know damaging and dangerous because you've got this big heavy shaft spinning 200 miles an hour coming loose underneath your truck right or car you're going down the road 70 70 miles an hour it's going to go out and when it goes out it's going to keep spinning and flipping and oh yeah may end up in traffic or in somebody's windshield well and and that's if the rear u-joint breaks now the front u-joint breaks particularly like on a one-piece shaft or really on two-piece shaft for that matter and drops down to the road then you digs in the road and pole vaults your car over (laughs) (laughs) i mean i've not seen that happen a lot of times but it could potentially happen well 
you know, if you notice, most race cars have yeah. a loop yeah, you, on the front. Well, NHRA used to mandate a, they a dry shaft loop, and it was just a piece of pipe that went out to the frame on the side with a big loop around that dry shaft. In case you busted that U-joint, the dry shaft couldn't come out and flip the car over. Right. It would come down, and it would hit inside that, yeah, that it circle, just, and it would hold it up underneath the car instead of letting it, it hit the it ground. It would contain it. It would just Correct. spin around up inside that. Oh, it'd make all kind of noise now. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I've been there, done that. I, I built a few of those dry shaft loops back on my old 55 Chevrolet. There you now, go. And, uh, of course, it added one more thing. When you inevitably tore the clutch up, you had to take, take off, out. Yeah. Yep. You just made it where it bolted in. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's one of those things that a procedure that we always used. It was, it was very, very common to sure. go to the parts store and buy U-joints and then take a hammer and pound them in or maybe put them in a vise and squeeze them in. Right. All the different kinds of ways we did things. I've done a thousand of them that way myself. But you just can't do that any longer. Not on today's vehicles. It, it just doesn't work. Even the same thing like on ball joints and tie rods and all that kind of stuff. You've got a lot of the, the spindles and knuckles and stuff are aluminum. Mm-hmm. And if you get in there with a hammer and start beating things out, right. you can damage these very expensive components. And it's enough that a lot of do-it-yourselfers may not know this, but a lot of shops really don't know that. Uh, just hadn't caught up. Maybe they just hadn't kept up with technology. Mm-hmm. And they're still doing things the way they did 30 years ago. Right and can cause a whole lot of problems. Let's take one of our phone calls here. We've got Amy online. Good morning, Amy. Hi. I have a 2017 Corolla, and this is the first car that I've ever owned new in my life. Mm -hmm. And whenever the cruise control is on and I decelerate, the RPMs come up to like 3,500. And I ask the people at the Toyota dealers whenever cruise control is on for the RPMs to be that high. It makes a really high winding noise. Well... You know what I would when people tell me something is normal, and it may be that it is normal because they keep changing designs for all sorts of reasons and stuff. I would just go to a dealership and say, "Look, I'd like to drive another one. I'd like to drive that one over there, and go drive it and see if it does the same thing." Because if it's normal, every one of them ought to do it. That's a good idea. Yeah, just go okay. to go to just say, "Okay, are you saying this is normal? I believe you, but I'd like to test drive this car over here." And if it doesn't do it and yours does, I'd say, well, it, since it's normal, this one must be broke. I'd like you to break mine like this one because I like that better. <laughs> but, yeah, right. that's, so that's, that's your best part. bet. Yeah. But they do keep doing weird stuff like that for all sorts of reasons. It could be an emissions thing. I don't know. You know, maybe they're trying to clear the cylinders out or whatever. So I'm not going to say it's not. I have not run across that. But, again, we don't see cars generally for about three years after they introduce because they're usually still under warranty and they're going back to the dealer for service. You know, after they get about three years old, I start to see them, and then I learn a lot more about these sort of things. But that's what I would do. I'd go and actually drive another car. That's a great idea. Well, thank you very much. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291 There you go. <laughs> and, you know, the, the number at the shop is 291 Correct. That's why we got 6901 here, just to kind of keep it consecutive there right but that 6900 always wants to pop up in the well you use it every day yeah back of my mind there for for whatever reasons but yeah that's one of those things where a lot of times they do change stuff on cars sure well they change things on cars all the time yeah for all kinds of reasons i know when gm had trouble with the the blower case would get mildew in it and it would cause a foul odor Uh uh-huh and they changed the software so that when you turn the motor off, when you turn the key off, the blower motor will continue to run for several seconds. Right. And it's to circulate air through that case because when the air conditioning is on, it's cold. And so when it starts to warm up, moisture can condense. 
by continuing to flow air through the case, they can dry that out so they can stop that the, the, the smell. Yeah, the smell. But people who had a car that didn't do that, when they got one, this was one of the key off. Yeah. And it is normal, but again, every single one you drive is going to do it. Right. And so you got to accept, okay, that's normal. And then if they give you a reason, and, and there's, I've always had a bit of a problem with dealerships just saying something's normal. It's mm-hmm. always better to say, well, it's normal. They changed that in 2017 because For this reason. blah, blah, blah. And most people are not stupid. If you give them a reasonable explanation, they're willing to accept it. Sure. But they just don't. I guess car companies are kind of like the government. They, they don't they're like giving out their little secrets. Well, there's a little era of distrust there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been, we've been bungled over so many times. You just kind of tend to disagree with a lot of what they say. So sure. it's better if they err towards uh, explaining too much side, in well, my opinion. And then when you have a new car like that, right. you, can, you can use that scenario. You right. can go back and you can drive another new one. Right. And see if they both act the same. Well, and really, in my opinion, when a salesman sells the car, he should he yeah. should mention, hey, look, now this car, when you put the cruise on and you let off and decelerate, the RPM will come. And that's because it decreases da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And that way, okay, yeah, and you, yeah. you're perfectly normal. With, right. you, you're good with it. But exactly. if it's not explained, then it becomes a problem, and it may be a problem that can't be fixed because it may be normal for the design. Correct. Let's go back to our phone lines with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Yes, how you doing? We're thinking about buying a General Motors product. Uh huh. And they've been putting turbos on the little small cylinders, right. like mm-hmm. four, four cylinders. Mm-hmm. And you know, I read a lot of reviews where the pistons are melting and things like that. And I'm like, you know, I love Chevrolet. That's all I've ever driven. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering if y'all been seeing a lot of that. Yeah, you see a fair amount. I would stay away from a turbo car if I could, unless you want what a turbo can do, which is give you a lot of performance in a small engine. If you like that, you like the way it drives, then you just got to put up with the thing. But there's always more maintenance on a turbocharged car because the engine is working a lot harder. I mean, what you're doing is you're forcing air into the cylinder, which is effectively increasing the combustion rate, the combustion uh, ratio, compression ratio, excuse me. And that's where your performance is coming from. And as you force more air in, when the piston comes up and compresses, it's a higher compression ratio, so you get more performance. But the engine works a lot harder. So things well, like oil changes and all that become much, much more critical on them. Plus, well, you got more moving parts. Right. Yeah. Chevrolet, that's all they're offering. Yeah. Well, like, if that's all they offer and that's the kind of car you want, then they just got to have it. But I would be very, very meticulous about my oil. I would use oil that exceeds what they recommend, and I would not go by their oil change intervals because you got to remember when GM builds a car – they engineers, their world is this car is designed for 100,000 miles, period. Then throw it away. Well, this particular dealer gives you free oil changes. Mm-hmm. But that's well, every, whatever, right. 10,000 miles, 15,000 miles? Well, you know, whenever. You got, <laughs> yeah, you I, gotta I wouldn't do that. Yeah, check I, the interval. I would not do that. I would change my oil based on the way I drive. But a turbo is a whole lot tougher on oil yep. than a non-turbo car because of the heat and the moving parts. That turbo is spinning about 10,000 RPM. So I would be changing my oil at about half of what they recommend. Yeah. Well, I just wanted General Motors product, but they yeah. really got they scared about them, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ford had the same problem. I mean, yeah. they had a they had a problem. They were swallowing turbo blades and grenading yeah. motors yeah. there for a while. Well, when that turbo blade comes off, it's going through the intake. Right. It's going right through the motor. I mean, you know, if, if I just had to have that car, I would just be real meticulous on my maintenance and stuff. But I would try to avoid it if I could, you know. And again, if you if you just got to buy a GM car, you just got to give do what GM says. Right. Okay. Well, I appreciate you guys. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want part of all the motor fire, yeah, a lot of the newer technologies like that, 
are kind of being forced on us. They it's are. Just, this is what they've decided. And by going to a smaller displacement engine, they can meet emissions better. Sure. But they know people want performance, so they've got to have ways to get that performance up. And a turbocharger is certainly one of those ways to get the performance up. It does pretty much the same thing as a supercharger with less moving parts because Correct. you don't have to belt drives and all that stuff. You don't have to have a supercharger unit. You use an exhaust. Use an exhaust to drive this little turbo unit. And with direct injection and variable cam time and all, they've got that turbo lag that you used to have right. out of them. They can engineer all that out with software. So performance will be there. But like everything, you've got performance, you've got economy, and you've got reliability. Pick right, two. You, you've got that triangle. <laughs> yeah, pick two of them. <laughs> you, move, you move from one, you move toward one, you move away from two. Right. And, you know, when the engineer says, okay, we want a little small engine that can produce this much horsepower. Okay, great. How long has it got to last? Exactly. 100,000 miles. Okay. Well, okay. I, yeah, I can do that. But now if you tell them, well, it has to last 200,000 miles, you yeah. can get a different answer. Sure. And then the cost is going to go through the ceiling. Sure. So they're trying to keep cost and performance and reliability all in the factor as best they can. Well, you remember that little 3.6 in the, the terrain in the right. Acadia? Mm-hmm. It had great performance. Right. I mean, it was it was a horse. Yeah. But the reliability wasn't there. Yeah, the time the and change, time and change would, would, would stretch on them or break the guides. And right. They were always in the shop having time and chain issues. Right. Reliability was suffering because they're trying to keep economy and performance there. Correct. And they got two of them, but they right. got far away from the third one. So that's just kind yep. of the way engineering works, unfortunately. I'm going back to our phone lines with Carolyn. Good morning, Carolyn. Hey, I got a question for you. Sure. I bought a 2018 Toyota Camry, mm-hmm. and my son and stuff were listening to the engine, and they, and it's really loud. The engine's really loud, but it also makes a knocking noise. Is that something? And I went to the dealership, and they said it's because they put straight injectors into it. Direct injectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does that sound... Yeah, direct injection operates at a much, much, much higher pressure than the old uh, port injectors used to. It operates at uh-huh. about 2,000 PSI. So uh-huh. it is going to be more noisy, you know, when it's just sitting there. Island. You won't hear it in the car. It shouldn't be objectionable. But if you got the hood up and you're sitting there listening for it, you can hear right. it a lot more than you could the other ones. And you got a lot more things going on in that car. you got variable cam time, so the camshafts are moving around, all that stuff's mechanical. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they can make a lot of noise. A lot of them will make a rattle noise when they crank. Yeah, mine mine makes a rattle noise even after it's cranked. So it's noises I've never heard before. Yeah, it'll do that for probably 5 to five to 15 seconds after crank up on a cold start. You'll get a lot mm-hmm. of rattling and sort of that sort. Now, be absolutely sure you put the right oil in that car. It probably calls for 0W20 synthetic, fully synthetic oil. And be sure you use a Toyota oil filter because if you go to just like a quick change place and they put either the wrong oil or the wrong oil filter, it'll be much worse and can cause a problem. The noise is considered well, normal. I mean, it's just, okay. the, just the design. It's just got a real, real complex engine, so it just has yeah. more noises. Well, and if, if you want to verify that, mm-hmm. you can use the uh-huh. same scenario the last caller did. Go to the dealership, get them to crank a brand new car for you yeah. sitting on the lot. And listen to it and, and see if it sounds it. the same. If they don't sound the same, then have yours broke that way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah, go, go to the dealership and say, I want to listen to this one here, Crank Up. Yeah. Yeah, because it's brand new. It's got 2,500 miles right. on it. Right. And I don't know. It's just, I just want to make sure because that's a big investment. Yeah, I understand. Chances are it is a normal noise because most of the newer engines are a lot noisier. And again, I'm talking about with the hood up, sitting there listening sure. to it. Sure. That's it won't, right. It won't sound like the old ones. But if you're driving the car, just crank it up, you don't normally hear it. There's enough insulation all in the hood where you don't hear it. It shouldn't be objectionable to you. But with the hood right. up, sitting there listening, you will hear things you never heard before just because there's things That's on it. it that you never had before. 
okay, well, I trust you. I've always brought my cars to you, so I just wanted to kind of let y'all that sounds pass great. it by y'all. And I mean, if you want to run it by the shop, I'll be glad to walk out in the parking lot and listen to it and make sure there's nothing. Un- you know, God, unnatural. I would love that because I'm a regular customer. Okay, I'm going to do that All just right. to make myself feel better. That sounds Thank great. You. Thank you, man. Okay, bye-bye. 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 All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want part of the automotive hour, we're going to take our last quick little break and be right back with a whole lot more. Tell me, tell babushka. You can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match. Yes, as I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on the couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes. I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At AGCO, you can. Take your car to AGCO once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you have an automotive question or comment, you give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. We still got, a, still got a few minutes to get your questions answered live for you. There you go. And you know, we were talking just a bit about drive shafts and stuff and uh-huh. how the service procedures and all have changed on those. And I know we've talked about this before, but I'd like to just kind of touch on it again. And that is the U-joints go bad in a number of ways. Sure. And most people are kind of used to you put it in reverse and you hear clunk. Right. And that's a slack and a totally catastrophically failed U-joint clunking back and forth. And certainly that is one way that a drive shaft or U-joint can fail. Sure. But there's many others. There are. When the grease is all going out of the shaft, the little bearing, roller bearings are running dry mm-hmm. and they can get stiff. You know, it'll quit turning. Right. And therefore the joint doesn't flex in its phase like it's supposed right. to as you're driving down the road. That's another way they can fail. Well, yeah, and you get a vibration rather than a clunk noise. And we're going to talk about that. Let's catch this last call here. We got George online. Good morning, George. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a 2011 Ranger pickup, and I had a wheel bearing go out, so I replaced both wheel bearings. Okay. Uh, Now at 60 miles an hour, I got a vibration in the steering wheel. Seems to go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Somewhere between 60 and 65. If I get to 70, it goes away. If I get below 60. It's yeah, this is a front wheel bearing at your place? Right. Mm-hmm. Is that a hub bearing assembly, or does it have the individual wheel bearings in that one? I wouldn't know the difference. Well, did you just bolt? I had, I had it done. Oh, you had it done. If it's a hub bearing assembly, or really even either way, I'm wondering if possibly that hub flange may have been damaged in the replacement, because the flange... It has to be running perfectly true. If it's not, it will cause the wheel to wobble, which will give you a shake much like an out-of-balance tire, but at a slightly higher speed, normally in the 60-mile-an-hour range. And what happens at 70 is still vibrating, but the frequency has gotten up higher than you can feel it. So fairly easy to diagnose. What you would do is just take the wheels off, put a dial indicator on that flange, and turn it and see if there's any run out in the flange itself anything above about two thousandths of an inch is going to be too much yeah by the time it gets out 
12, 14 inches on the tire, it's, right. it's a considerable amount. It'll be a considerable amount. And if it started right after they changed the wheel bearing, that would be mm-hmm. my first area of concern. I would check that. Now, it's also possible maybe they rotated the tires when they changed the wheel bearings. And, and you had one of the tires on the back that was out of balance or something. Now it's brought to the front, so you feel it. Or you got some corrosion between the rim and the hub. Well, I've had tires silenced, and I've had the truck aligned. And so it's still there? It didn't help any. Yeah, I would suspect very highly that that is going to be something to do with that flange, and I would start by checking that. Right. Okay. And that's a relatively easy diagnosis. The fix may or may not be easy. You may have to replace that flange. But that is something that can get damaged fairly easily in the process of replacing the wheel bearings. Or it may not have been made right to begin with. It could have even been a defective flange. If it was a hub bearing assembly, they may have just got one that had some problem. Maybe it was dropped off the shelf or something. Who knows? You know, Just because a part is new doesn't mean it's good. It just means it's supposed to be good nowadays. All righty. Well, we'll give it a try. Thank you. All right, Mr. Arch. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, I see we're getting close to the end of the That we are. But we were talking about the dry shaft. Because it doesn't have a clunk and because you can't take it and feel slack in the joint does not mean it's not bad. Correct. Because you can have a frozen-up roller in there, which will vibrate the devil out of the car. And the only way to really find that is to take the shaft out and physically roll the joint through its entire phase instead of just the little phase it runs in. Mm -hmm. It has to be perfectly glass smooth right if moving you, if you've got a little catch or something in it that joint is fixing to go bad yeah even a almost imperceptible little catch or bind or tight spot again by the time you start to spin this shaft 200 miles, 200 an, hour. miles an hour is going to result in a significant vibration in the car and drive shaft vibrations are different from say wheel and tire vibrations in that generally when you accelerate or decelerate they will change somewhat. It may Correct. be slightly, but if you get it up to, say, 60 miles an hour and it's shaking and you tip into it and the vibration changes, or you get to 70 and, and let, let off and coast down through that range and it's gone, then it's probably not a wheel tire type vibration. Right. Because the wheels and tires are still turning the same speed. Right, but the drive shaft is loaded and unloaded at Loaded that point. and unloaded. If it's bad enough, it may still be there, but it will generally change, change. somewhat. In other words, it'll be a different vibration. Correct. It may be slightly higher. It may be slightly lower. It may be more intense. It may be less intense. The point is, if accelerating and decelerating the vehicle changes the vibration. You're looking towards a driveline issue. Yeah, and again, the best way to check that is take the shaft out and individually move each joint. Make sure they're all as smooth as glass. Another thing you can do is just kind of physically inspect every joint. If you see any rust, a little trail of rust coming out from behind the seal, mm-hmm. grease slung around on the bottom of the car, mm-hmm. things like that you need to take note of. Any red rust coming out of those seals is definitely a sign of a catastrophic failure. That means sure. water's gotten into this joint, and if it's not failed right now, it will very soon be. So you might as well go ahead and replace it. Sure. And generally, when we see a shaft with rust coming out of the caps, we go ahead and just replace all the joints. Oh, yeah, we, because one, that one has gone through, the other ones have also. Yeah, they, basically, they've all run through the same thing. And it doesn't take real high water. When you figure the dry shaft is roughly about center away of the tires. Sure. So you figure 14 inches or so. If you go through water 14 inches tall, that dry shaft is probably underwater. Right. And backing a boat down into the landing is another way to get water in there. Yep. Hey, I see we're just totally out of time. Let's go ahead and wind it on up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this morning and every morning. Tell your friends and 
Go to your favorite broadcast service and give us a written review. Yeah, a written review will move us up in the rankings where more people can listen because we come up closer when people type in auto repair. That sure helps us out, and we appreciate it. That's where we want to be. There you go. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.